Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. We are walking through the month of December with an individual reading for you every day. And I hope you're gathering around like we used to gather around in the radio days. I actually never did gather around in radio days, but my husband did. The book I'm reading from today is called Watch for the Light, and it is a reading for ad readings for Advent and Christmas. And I remember that I found this book at what is called the Visiting Nurses Book Sale here in Arizona, where you can go down to the Coliseum and find the visiting nurses who have set up a half a million books, and they are all $5 or less. There's a small room for uh, expensive books, but these books were just someone owned them and got rid of them, and here they passed on and on. And this is a daily reading for Advent, written by Henri Nouwen, Bernard of Clairvaux, Kathleen Norris, J.B. Phillips, Gail Goodwin, just Carl Barth, numbers of very famous people, Madeline Lingle. And today I'm going to read for you a December 31st reading, The Time of No Room, by Thomas Merton. He who has come to men dwells where we cannot tell, nor sight reveal him, until the hour has struck when the small heart does break with hunger for him. Those who do merit least, those whom no tongue does praise, the first to know him, and on the face of earth, the poorest village, Streets are blossoming for him. There was no room in the inn, true, but that is simply mentioned in passing in a matter-of-fact sort of way as the evangelist points to what he really means us to see, the picture of pure peace, pure joy. She wrapped her firstborn son in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. But now we know it well, and yet we might still be questioning it except that a reason was given for an act that might otherwise have seemed strange. There was no room for them in the inn. Well, then, they obviously found some other place. But when we read the Gospels and come to know them thoroughly, we realize there are other reasons why it was necessary that there be no room at the inn and why there had to be some other place. In fact, the inn was the last place in the world for the birth of the Lord. The evangelist preparing us for the announcement of the birth of the Lord reminds us that the fullness of time has come. Now is the time of final decision, the time of mercy, the acceptable time, the time of settlement, the time of the end. It is the time of repentance, the time for fulfillment of all promises, for the promised one has come. But with the coming of the end, a great bustle and business begins to shake the nations of the world. The time of the end is the time of massed armies, quote, wars and rumors of wars, of huge crowds moving this way and that, of men, quote, withering away for fear, 
unquote, of flaming cities and sinking fleets, of smoking lands laid waste, of technicians planning grandiose acts of destruction. The time of the end is the time of the crowd. The eschatological message is spoken in a world where precisely because of the vast, infinite roar of armies on the move and the restlessness of turbulent mobs, the message can be heard only with difficulty. Yet it is heard by those who are aware that the display of power, hubris, and destruction is part of the message. That which is to be judged announces itself, introduces itself by its sinister and arrogant claim to absolute power. Thus it is identified, and those who decide in favor of this claim are numbered, marked with the sign of power, aligned with power, and destroyed with it. Why then was the inn crowded? Because of the census, the eschatological massing of the whole world in the centers of registrations, to be numbered, to be identified with the structure of the impower, imperial power. The purpose of the census, to discover those who would be taxed, to find out who was eligible for service in the armies of the empire. The Bible had not been friendly to a census in the days when God was ruler over Israel. You can find a note to that in 2 Samuel 24. The number of the people of God by an alien empire and their full consent to do it was itself an eschatological sign. I think Merton likes that word, don't you? Preparing those who could understand it meant judgment with repentance. After all, in the apocalyptic literature of the Bible, this summoning together or convocation of the powers of the earth to do battle is the great sign of the end. It was therefore impossible the world should lose himself by being born into a shapeless and passive mass. He had indeed emptied himself, taken the form of God's servant man. But he did not empty himself to the point of becoming mass man, faceless man. It was therefore right that there should be no room for him in a crowd that had been called together as a sign. His being born outside that crowd is even more of a sign that there is no room for him is a sign of the end. Nor are the tidings of great joy announced in the crowded end. In the massed crowd, there are always new tidings of joy and disaster. Where each of us, with each announcement, is the greatest of announcements. Where every day's disasters are beyond compare. Every day's dangers demand the ultimate sacrifice. All news and all judgment is reduced to zero. News becomes a merely a new noise in the mind, briefly replacing the noise that went before it and yielding to the noise that will come after it, so that eventually everything blends into the new monotonous and meaningless rumor. News? There's so much news that there's no room left for the true tidings of the good news, the great joy. Hence, the great joy is announced, after all, in silence, loneliness, darkness, to shepherds living in the field or living in the countryside, and apparently unmoved by the rumors or massed crowds. These are the remnant of desert dwellers, the nomads, the true Israel. Even though the whole world is ordered to be inscribed, they do not seem to be affected. 
Doubtless they have registered, as Joseph and Mary will register, but they remain outside the agitation and untouched by the vast movement, the massing of hundreds and thousands of people everywhere in towns and cities. They are therefore quite otherwise signed. They are designated, surrounded by a great light. They receive the message of great joy, and they believe it with joy. They see the Shekinah over them, recognizing themselves for what they are. They are the remnant, the people of no account, who are therefore chosen, and they obey the light. Not with anything else ask of them. They go and they see a prophet, not a spirit, but the flesh in which the glory of the Lord will be revealed and by which all men will be delivered from the power that is in the world, the power that seeks to destroy the whole world because the world is God's creation, the power that mimics creation and in doing so pillages and exhausts the resources of bounteous God-given earth. We live in the time of no room, which is the time of the end, the time when everyone is obsessed with a lack of time, a lack of space, with saving time, conquering space, projecting into time and space the anguish produced within them by the technological fury of size, volume, quantity, speed, number, price, power, and acceleration. Parenthesis, my own. This was written in 1981. The primordial blessing, increase and multiply, had suddenly become a hemorrhage of terror. We are numbered in billions and massed together, marshaled, numbered, marched here and there, tax-drilled, armed, worked to the point of insensibility, dazed by information, drugged by entertainment, suffeted with everything, nauseated with the human race, and with ourselves, nauseated with life. As the end approaches, there is no room for nature. The cities crowded off the face of the earth. At the end approaches, there's no room for quiet. There's no room for solitude. There's no room for thought. There's no room for attention, for the awareness of our state. In the time of the ultimate end, there is no room for man. Those that lament the fact that there is no room for God must also be called to account for this. Have they perhaps added to the general crush by preaching a solid marble God that makes man alien to himself, a God that settles himself grimly like an implacable object in the inner heart of man and drives man out of himself in despair? The time of the end is the time of demons who occupy the heart, pretending to be gods, so that man himself finds no room for himself in himself. He finds no space to rest in his own heart, not because it is full, but because it is void. If only he knew that the void itself, when hovered over by the Spirit, is an abyss of creativity, yet he cannot believe it. There is no room for belief. In the time of the end, there is no longer room for the desire to go on living. The time of the end is the time when men call upon the mountains to fall upon them, because they wish they did not exist. Why? Because they are part of a proliferation of life that is not fully alive, is programmed for death. A life that has not been chosen, can, can hardly be accepted, has no more room for hope. Yet it must pretend to go on hoping. It is haunted by the demon of emptiness, and out of this unutterable void come the armies, the missiles, the weapons, the bombs, the concentration camps, 
the race riot, the racist murders, and all the other crimes of man's society. In this pessimism, is this the unforgivable sin of admitting what everyone really feels? Is it pessimism to diagnose cancer as cancer? Or should one simply go on pretending that everything is getting better every day? Because the time of the end is also, for at some rate, the time of great prosperity? The kind of earth, the kings of the earth, have joined in her idolatry, and the traitors of the earth had grown rich from her excessive luxury. Revelation 18 and 3. Into this world, this demented inn in which there is absolutely no room for him at all, Christ has come uninvited. But because he cannot be at home in it, because he is out of place in it, and yet must be in it, his place is with those others who do not belong, who are rejected because they are regarded as weakened with those who are discredited, who are denied the status of persons, and are tortured or exterminated. With those for whom there is no room, Christ is present in this world. He is mysteriously present in those for whom there seems to be nothing but the world at its worst. For them, there is no escape, even in imagination. They cannot identify with the power structure of a crowded humanity which seeks to project itself outward, anywhere, flight into the void, to get out where there is no God, no man, no name, no identity, no weight, no self, nothing but the bright, self-directed, perfectly obedient, and infinitely expensive machine. For those who are stubborn enough, devoted enough to power, there remains this last apocalyptic excuse me, myth of machinery propagating its own kind in the ecological world of space, while on Earth the bombs make room. But the others, they remained in prison in other hopes and in more pedestrian despairs, despairs and hopes which are held down to earth, down to street level, to the pavement only, desire to be at least half human, to taste a little human joy, to do a family a decent job of productive work, to come home to a family, desires for which there is no room. It is these that he hides himself for whom there is no room. The time of the end, all right, when? That is not the question. To say that it is the time of the end is to answer all the questions. For if it is the time of the end, and if great tribulation, then it is certainly and above all the time of great joy. It is a time to lift up your heads, for your redemption is at hand. It is a time when the promise will be manifestly fulfilled and no longer kept secret from anyone. It is a time for the joy that is given, not as the whole world gives, and that no man can take away. For the true banquet is not that of the birds on the bodies of the slain. It is the feast of the living, the wedding banquet of the Lamb. The true convocation is not the crowding of armies on the fields of battle, but the summons of great joy, the cry of deliverance, Revelation 18 and 4, Come out of her, my people, that you may not share in her sins and suffer with her plagues. The cry of the time of the end was uttered also in the beginning by Lot in Sodom to his son-in-law. Come, get out of this city, for the Lord will destroy it. But he seemed to them to be jesting. 
to live the city of death and imprisonment, surely not bad news, except to those who have so identified themselves with their captivity that they conceive to the other reality that there are no other conditions. In such a case, there is nothing but tribulation. For while to stay in captivity is tragic, to break away from it is unthinkable, and so more tragic still. What is needed, then, is the grace and courage to see that the great tribulation and the great joy are really inseparable, and that the tribulation becomes joy when it is seen as the victory of life over death. True, there is a sense in which there is no room for joy in this tribulation. To say there is no room for the great joy in the tribulation of the end is to say that the evangelical joy must not be confused with the joys proposed by the world in the time of the end, and we must admit it. These are no longer convincing as joys. They become now stoic duties and sacrifices to be offered without question for ends that cannot be described just now, since there is too much smoke and the visibility is rather poor. In the last analysis, the joy proposed by the time of the end is simply the satisfaction and the relief of getting it all over with. That is the demonic temptation of the end, for eschatology is not fini and punishment, the winding up of accounts, and the closing of books. It is the final beginning, the definitive birth and the new creation. It is not the last gasp of exhausted possibilities, but the first taste of all that is beyond our conceiving. But can we believe it? It seemed to be that they are jesting. My heart is touched by these words. I hope yours is also. We live in these days, preparing ourselves for an end. I pray that your end will be found in the arms of Jesus Christ. And if we are all here when the end comes, that we will rejoice. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it an uncommon day of joy.